what's your revenue model for no ch degree sure so i've got a few different streams so part of it is boot camps can sponsor articles where they've had people that have learned to code at their boot camps and now they're going on and working in cool jobs and they're successful and they've improved their careers so that's a good part of it another part of it is newsletter sponsorship so i've got separate newsletters for my jobs board and for my blog which is quite good because the jobs board newsletter for example means that i can like target people with products for you know interview help and stuff like that so it's really they know like it's a lot better to say to an advertiser like i've got 3000 subscribers that want jobs and want your job related products rather than people that are learning to code or it's not so it's not so niche so i think a niche newsletter is really good because you can appeal to people like you can deliver more value to advertisers basically so sponsored articles sponsored newsletter I've got like a course on monetizing your newsletter which is going to be released in a couple of days time so that's cool and apart from that it's things like I mention lots of courses in the articles so every time I do that like usually I've got affiliate links for those so if someone buys a course then I can get like a percentage cut of that and and I've also got things like employers that have openings for for developers can pay to post on my job board and bit camps can pay to post on the bit camp list so yeah it's quite a lot of different revenue streams yeah uh, but it's quite nice in that way because it's quite diverse so i'm not just relying on one thing i can spread the risk more so it's good hi just a quick request If you're listening to this on Apple Podcasts, please take a minute to write a review and leave us five stars on Apple Podcasts because it helps us climb the charts and reach more listeners like yourself. Thanks, Pete, for coming here. <laughs> Good to have you. No. And uh, for those of us who don't know you, just uh, tell us who you are. My name is Pete. I run a website called No CS Degree, where people can basically read inspiring stories about people that have learned to code. and the people that have been through boot camps or taught themselves to code over the internet and it's basically a way of showing that you can get a good career or make a good startup and you don't need to have a computer science degree it's a very interesting concept very different from all the other podcasts and websites about interviewing entrepreneurs so how did you stumble upon this particular niche That's a good question. I already really liked websites like Indie Hackers where they interviewed entrepreneurs that don't take venture capital and it was basically a case where I was starting to learn to code and I didn't have I couldn't see many examples of people that had like done really well without a college degree in computer science but I'd started speaking to friends in a number of like telegram groups like whip and i just send people private messages and because some people were saying you know oh i make 10,000 dollars a year but i you know dropped out of high school 
And I was like, well, that doesn't sound like you've got a college degree then because, you know, if you dropped out or whatever. So I just started like asking people and the, a lot of their stories were really cool. And so I just kind of thought, well, it'd be kind of motivational for me because I'm learning to code to hear what other people are, how, how they approached it. And I think I just kind of realized, you know, lots of people are doing this at the moment. There's a huge movement online where people are either going to boot camps or doing, you know, Udemy or other short courses. So I kind of noticed that there was this kind of tribe forming and the tribe didn't really have a name or anything. So I was like, okay, I'll, I'll name it NoCS degree and then I'll put this website together. Yeah, and uh, I think there is a disconnect in terms of when you read about people like Zuckerberg and Gates dropping out of college, and then you read a lot of case studies about founders of maybe $100 million companies or a billion dollar companies, and uh, they have not had a CS background. And when you read those stories, you were like, oh, how did this person learn to code? And there was maybe a knowledge gap. And I think your website is trying to fill that gap that somebody has done medical or somebody was a firefighter, and then yeah. they are in coding. So how did they get there? And that is when no CS degree comes up and fills that void. Yeah, yeah, thank you very much. There have been lots of cool stories. There have been people that have been, you know, working, someone working as a waitress and they learned to code in their, in their evenings after they finished work and now they're a developer. There's people, like you say, that was one person was a firefighter, then they became a nurse and then they became a developer. There's a few people that have been, you know, women in their 30s that have a few children and their mums at home and they just kind of start to learn to code while they're looking after their children so it's really nice to see people like change their careers and get into more successful jobs shall we say yeah and uh, i was looking at your linkedin profile as well and your journey seems to be like kind of the the stories you share as well i mean you studied politics in college and yeah. uh, through the years, you had been writing product descriptions. You wrote for a couple of different companies, and then you started doing political commentary. So how did that transition happen? That's a good point. I did politics and Spanish at university, which was like really interesting at the time. And I guess, I mean, it's still interesting for me, but back in 2003 and four, there wasn't, well, there wasn't Twitter and there wasn't I guess all these things like Udemy or all these people like people sharing how to learn JavaScript on YouTube and stuff like that. It just wasn't really on the radar. And so that was what I was into at the time. And then I guess a few years ago, I was doing like I was working in offices and I was just like getting progressively more interested in coding and business. And then I think quite a pivotal moment happened when I learned about Peter Levels, who's the founder of Nomad List, and he's a self-taught developer as well. And he's currently making like $600,000 a year from a couple of websites that he made himself and he doesn't have any staff. He doesn't have, you know, he's got to pay for the server, but apart from that, it's something crazy like 90% profit. So I think when you, those stories weren't happening, you know, when I was at college, those kind of stories are very motivating. And then about a year ago, I was just kind of like, well, I'm just gonna 
go out on my own and do my own thing. And I think it's definitely very challenging, but it's very liberating to kind of have your own business and work on that yourself. You know, I don't need to ask someone for time off at Christmas or, you know, I went like last Christmas, I went away for three weeks to Berlin. I didn't need to ask anyone's permission for that. And I could just, you know, obviously travel's really hard just now because of COVID, but if I wanted to with my business, you know, I could work from anywhere. So it's a pretty, it's a pretty appealing prospect. <laughs> yeah. And uh, I, I was also reading uh, about traveling in your LinkedIn profile. Like you said, you went to Berlin for three months and beforehand, I think you took a seven month trip to South America and then to Southeast Asia. Yeah, I did that like quite a long time ago now, but yeah, I, I really like traveling. So I do it when I can. I think for me, my experiences with travel has just been kind of like, it's another reason to do entrepreneurship. But I guess like the great thing about remote working um, is just that you can find like, I've got people that I really look up to and admire from all around the world. So I've got people that I really like that are, you know, Dutch or Ukrainian or American or Australian or Indian or whatever. So I think it's just been really, it's really good getting as much wisdom as you can from lots of different founders all over the place. So a lot of these people I've not actually like met in person, like Peter's, Peter Levels is a friend of mine and like a big mentor. I've never been in the same room as him. So you can like connect with people on Twitter or another community, you know, you can, you can connect to lots of really interesting people nowadays very easily. So that's cool. I was also listening to Harry Dry's interview a couple of uh, days back, and he was also talking about how helpful Peter is on Twitter. And if you reach out to him and if you DM him, he'll reach back and answer your questions. Yeah, again, that's the same thing. I mean, I'm, I live in Edinburgh in Scotland and Harry lives in London. So mm. like in global terms, we live very close to each other, but I've never met him. He's a really nice guy, but I just speak to him over Telegram or Twitter and stuff. So I think something that's really good, like a good reason to start a business, uh, especially one where, you know, you're not going for the billion dollar valuation in Silicon Valley. The good thing is that everyone's really supportive and we've got a very nice kind of community on, you know, Telegram groups or Twitter or IndieHackers.com. And there's a lot of people that are very helpful. And I, the nice thing is that because I guess because we're all going, we're all in our different areas. We're all happy to like share ideas and stuff like that. And I guess the venture capital model is the winner takes all. So if you're making like Uber, you're not going to share secrets with the people that run Lyft, for instance, because yeah. there's only one person that can win. Whereas if you're trying to make like kind of $10,000 a month, or something like that as your first stage, there's really not a winner takes all market. So people are very helpful in the kind of indie founder, indie hacker world to help each other because it's not gonna bite you in the tail if you share your tips or your secrets or something. And so you started learning coding along the way while you were writing for these different industries. 
at what point did you feel comfortable enough to start your own thing because i believe you have coded no cs degree as well you don't use a no code platform um no i do i use you uh, do oh yeah yeah i use uh, ghost at the moment which okay. is a content management system like a blogging software but the thing is i'm working just now on like coding my own kind of custom website for an OCS degree. So that's kind of about halfway done now. So basically what I'm going to have, because at the moment I've used no code tools to have like a job board and to have a bootcamp directory, but I have made a mistake because they're on like different domains and mm -hmm. people, and they look a bit different. So if you go from my main site to those, you're like, oh, this is just like a different site entirely. So that was like not a good thing to do. <laughs> uh, I'm combining them all into like my, I guess my code name is the super site. So when I write my diary, I'm like, yeah, I worked my super site today. And the super site's going to have like the success stories of people that have learned to code and a job board and a list of boot camps and like a list of short courses and books, like, you know, use me courses that you can do. So I'm doing that all together at the moment in Janko. That's a framework for Python. And it's nice to be able to make it my own way and make it completely custom. And that way I can have all these different pages on the same site. And most importantly, my coding's getting better because I'm <laughs> using coding, if you see what I mean. Yeah. And uh, so I was looking at all the maybe side projects you have launched on Product Hunt. And uh, the first five launches, none of them blew up. And the sixth one, I guess, was Tech Press List, which was maybe your first hit in terms of blowing up on Product Hunt. You got yeah. a lot of upvotes. So what were your lessons from those first five product launches that you did helping you do, this sixth, do the sixth one? Um, yeah, I thought Tech Press List was my first one, to be honest. Ah. I, don't product, I don't know if product hunts maybe like jumbled up the order now. Okay, that could be the case. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Because no. there were there were a couple of launches related to travel, cheap UK yeah, flights yeah. and maybe yeah. a Lambo one. Yeah, yeah, I know the ones you mean. Yeah, I'm pretty sure Tech Press List was my first one. And I didn't, I honestly didn't have any help exactly. I didn't like ask people to upvote it. I didn't get anyone to hunt it for me or anything like that. I think the thing with product hunt is if you make something that the product hunt audience like, and it's to do with tech or it's to do with travel or and digital nomads or remote work, any of those kind of things that are really like, I guess the main things that people on product hunt go and look for then people will upload it and you don't need to like DM people or beg for upvotes and stuff. It's really, I don't know. I mean, this might sound naive, but if you make something good, people will like it. And recently I've gotten lots of messages and emails and stuff asking for people to upvote it, but it's kind of like, well, if you make a good thing, then it'll go up anyway. I think with my first launch on Product Hunt, I was definitely in the top 10, so I was maybe like sixth or seventh, and I didn't have like a, a following or anything. But the more you launch, obviously, the more followers that you'll get. So 
I guess I've got about a thousand followers on Product Hunt now. So quite a few people, I'm sure when I launch, quite a few people are like, oh yeah, that's Pete. Yeah, I'll upvote this thing. So, but anyone can do that. Like the more, especially with no code tools now, it's really easy to get a website together. So, I mean, obviously you want to focus on quality and make something good, but I guess it's kind of like, it's the same with anything. It's like, how do you get more TikTok followers? Well, you produce more videos and yeah. how do you get more Twitter followers, you tweet more. And it, it's not really rocket science. It's more just kind of like over the course of a year, if you make like 10 products on Product Hunt, then you, I'm sure that you're and they're, and they're like of the good quality. I'm sure your, your followers will go up really. Yeah, yeah. And like you said, a big part of it is understanding the community in which you are uh, trying to launch. So even if you launch the same product on Hacker News Product Hunt and Indie Hackers at the same time, you probably won't uh, write the same paragraphs in all the three different uh, websites. Yeah. So it's really important to understand the community that you're trying to serve. Yeah, definitely. I think that's an excellent point. You really, you don't want to have like the same message just sent, sent to everyone. You want to tailor it to each community. But I would say as well, it's really good to join communities on like Telegram, like MakerLog is a free one that I'm a member of, or Twitter or Indie Hackers. And what you can do is like before your product hunt launch, you can just share what you're working on and just be like, okay, does this landing page make sense to you? And some people will be like, oh, I don't really get what your idea is. Or no, you want to like, I know, change the title or change the image or that doesn't really, or yeah, that doesn't really like, you're not really selling it or you're not showing the benefits. So if you're really open with people and sharing what you're working on, then that will help where when you go on Hacker News and stuff like that, or Product Hunt. Whereas if you keep everything, <clears throat> if you keep everything like a secret, and you're like, oh no, it's my thing. And if I share it with the world, you know, everyone's going to steal it and become a millionaire <laughs> for me. And then you put it on Product Hunt, then it's like, you've not had anyone help you with it. So it's a lot easier if you get people's help beforehand and then you can refine it. Yeah, yeah. And joining communities certainly helps. Like, uh, so I joined Weekend Club a couple of weeks back. I don't know if you know, Charlie is the founder of Weekend Club, but he knows you. And there were several people who knew you and uh, they, they used to read your vlogs. And so yesterday was my first session from uh, 10 o'clock in the morning to 5 o'clock. We work on our own things. And then in between, we have a lunch hour where we discuss certain topics. And I realized how it helps, like when you are working with seven, eight different founders from different countries, and some of them were doing their own podcasts and newsletters as well. And so I got to have some great feedback on what they were doing to grow their uh, thing and how they were interviewing people. And one thing that one of those members, David Miranda, uh, said is that... Uh, so he's making a tech product and he said that while he was interviewing his users, he would take them to the web page and he would ask his users to describe their product. And he said that when they were describing my product, what they were focusing on was very different from what I was trying to build. And that was a great insight that I had yesterday. Yeah, that's another thing you can do is you can, I'm pretty sure Harry Dries talked about this as well. I think so at least, but yeah, what you can do is like ask people 
like I asked my like newsletter readers recently, like why do they like my newsletter? And then I put their words on my newsletter sign up page. So it's like, ah. you know, Xavier says it's so motivational or, you know, Sarah says I look forward to it every week or whatever. And, but yeah, it's a really, not only will your audience tell you why they like it, but you can actually use their words and that'll improve your copywriting because then you're putting it literally in the words of people that already use it. So maybe if you have a website or something, your, your description of your products could be a lot better improved if you ask people that use it and they say like, oh, you know, it's the best newsletter for remote work. And then you're like, okay, cool. And then that becomes your headline on your, on your website. So yeah, it's really good to listen to users and see how they view it as well. Yeah, and uh, your work seems heavily influenced by Pat Walsh from Starter Story, Harry Drive for marketing examples. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So how important would you say mentors are in your journey as an entrepreneur? And where would you be without them maybe? Just to give us an example of how they might have helped you along the way. Making a business. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, no, mentors are really important, uh, really important. I would say that a good difference to make is that no one has ever, I don't have anyone that's like a formal mentor. So like Peter Levels, for instance, has given me huge amounts of advice over the years, but it's never like, I never said to him, will you be my mentor? And he's like, yes, I'll be your mentor, Pete. And so I think put it this way, if someone listening to this wants a mentor, just ask people for advice. Because if you think about it, if someone says to you, like, oh, do you have any advice on how I can like monetize my newsletter or some or how you can get sponsors, that's like really specific advice that someone can be like, Yeah, I've got experience in this. I can help you with that. Whereas if you ask someone to be a mentor for you, it's quite a like well, do I have to mentor you for the rest of my life? And yeah. that's like a really like wide open, all encompassing thing where it's like, well, what does it mean to be a mentor to someone? So it's a lot easier to, to, for people to give people like specific advice rather than like, I'm going to help you forever <laughs> or whatever. But definitely lots of people have been really helpful. Like Peter Levels, like Cortland Allen, who runs Indie Hackers. Indie Hackers. Yeah, he's, I'm very lucky to have his advice. Um, also like Lynn Tai, who runs Key Values, and she was on the Indie Hackers podcast. And yeah, I'm actually launching a product soon where people can come on a Zoom call and chat to people like Ben Tossel from MakerPad and yeah, yeah Scott from Scott Cheap's Lights. So it's gonna be exciting for me to meet some of these people. But yeah, definitely, like I said before, it's a really helpful community. So most people are happy to like, yeah, help with questions that you have. Yeah, yeah. And I was about to talk to you about your Meet Your Heroes product launch because I thought that was really interesting. I've never seen anything like that where people are interviewing somebody and at the same time they have made it a paid gig as in you can enter a Zoom call and you can ask questions. And... When I was starting my podcast, I had this idea of uh, allowing people to ask questions because you don't see that in a lot of podcasts. 
and mute your heroes is a really good twist where you are allowing them to watch a live interview and then they can participate yeah. um, and so how did you come across that idea i just realized that there's lots of people that i was like well i've never met this person and i've never like had a face to face conversation with them live or anything and i was like well it'd be really awesome to to meet people that I really look up to and to like ask them, yeah, to actually have a chat with them and like feel like I've kind of sort of met them, like not in the same room, but obviously the closest you can during COVID and everything. And I just thought it'd be a fun thing to do. And it just means as well that people that people that pay can join the call and then yeah, they can ask people questions or they can ask really successful people questions. Like with Scott Keys, he's got a newsletter for sending people cheap flights and he makes like millions of dollars a year. And yeah. he he actually did the same, well, not exactly, but roughly the same degree as me. He did politics at university. So he's mm. kind of like an accidental entrepreneur. He's not like, he wasn't doing an MBA or he wasn't like, you know, at Harvard when he was 20, like, you know, plotting a kind of Facebook company or whatever. So yeah, he's a really cool example of founders that I like. And yeah, I mean, what could be better than getting on a call and chatting with people? It's like, you know, if you're into football and you get the chance to like, I know, ask Messi his, you know, his tips yeah. on how to score a <laughs> kick or whatever. Uh, I'm really showing my football knowledge here. We're so lucky in the kind of entrepreneur, the indie hacker entrepreneur community because you can, the people that you admire or the people I admire that are really successful are definitely within your reach and they're not, you know, billionaires that won't answer your calls, basically. <laughs> yeah, and previously, if you wanted to meet these people, you had to go to conferences and I think COVID has allowed people to think in a lot of creative ways. Like this is a very good example of where we, you can you can watch an interview live and you also become comfortable. Like when you're watching somebody talk uh, to somebody for an hour and they are laughing and they're having fun and they are sharing their business secrets, you understand that I can ask this person just about anything. And so it, it makes people more comfortable in terms of asking their uh, questions related to business or life, anything. Yeah, yeah, no, thank you. That's really nice. I think it's just more of a kind of cool experience than just, sending someone an email and then the email pings up in your inbox and someone is like, you know, yes, you should do this or no, you shouldn't do that. So it's a lot more fun to like have a more of a human contact and yeah, just speak to speak to people directly. Yeah. And so you started interviewing these people who had no CS degrees uh, and they were maybe founders of some companies or they were working at some successful software companies and they were at successful positions so how did you find these people yeah sure so yeah i get asked this a lot like initially it was people that i knew from like twitter and telegram groups so it was people that i knew that were doing well so like harry dry was one of my first examples because he did like marketing or marketing and economics or something like that at university. Yeah, economics, I guess. Yeah, so I knew that he'd, like, so he became, like, known to me because he made this, like, nowadays he's known for his marketing examples site, but he actually made this viral 
Kanye West dating website. I read that a few years ago, which was really fun. So if anyone's listening and thinking how to get, I know, more Twitter followers or more product hunt votes, make a silly website like that because that's how I know this guy. And now he's, yeah, he's doing really well. So I messaged people that I knew just already from communities. So I just messaged them. I mean, I'd like to, I'll need to go back and see what I said to them initially. But I think it's something along the lines of I'm making a website where I interview people that don't have CS degrees. I know that, you know, you've done really well with your marketing degree or or you left school without one or whatever, depending on the person. And then it's just like, you know, do you have time to answer some questions? So I think what's good is, so I do the interviews where I'll have like a Google Doc and I'll have questions set out for the person and then they can just like interview, they can just reply to the interview in their own time. So that's quite good. And then they just send it back to me. So yeah, I guess as well, because it hadn't hadn't totally been done before. So I guess it was maybe like a novel thing for some people. And I guess as well, like in the, if we fast forward to the present time, I'd say like interview websites are a really good thing to do because if you think about your average person that's like working a job, doesn't really expect to be interviewed <laughs> any time in their life. It's kind yeah. of like interviews are like for movie stars or rock stars or, you know, whatever. So if you're like a developer at, you know, a software company and someone emails you and says, hey, I saw that, you know, you used to work as like a forklift driver or a waitress. And now you're a developer and you're doing really well. Uh, can I like talk to you and share your story on my site? Like it's quite flattering things. I think most people are quite keen for that. So I yeah, if I was to advise someone to do an interviews website, I guess I kind of made this like chart or graph in my head where it's like one side is like, is it interesting content? So it's kind of it's gotta be there's got to be something impressive about it. And obviously having like either a really well-paid software job or creating a really successful company is impressive. So that's good. And having people that are easy to approach and want to be interviewed is also good. So I think I'm kind of like, I, I take both those boxes. Whereas like if you're trying to do like a no CS degree for, I know if you're trying to interview like movie stars or something you know i don't think brad pitt's gonna answer your email and just be like yeah i'll spend like an hour working on this interview (laughs) for you or whatever so i'd be careful of like like who you choose and yeah you need people that are basically willing to be interviewed and thankfully yeah most people that i ask are quite keen yeah and Pat Walls has an open startup and his model is kind of the same. He uh, sends questions to people via email. And I was reading one of his uh, blogs in which he was, uh, I think he was trying to uh, peel the layers about how he makes sure that the quality of the stories being told on the websites is good. And he said that initially when he would uh, email people questions, there are some people who are not really great writers. So how do you ensure that they tell a great story and his uh, solution to that was that he would give them talking points. So with every question, he would give them five talking points and that would ensure that at least they are uh, 
talking in detail about whatever they are building and maybe their past experiences and their failures and then he would have five six different cycles when he would send them back for editing and they would give some more details and then he would ask pictures of things that were relevant to that interview so what is your process of ensuring quality in that way because i've read no cs degree and every single story is beautifully written and uh-huh. i assume that the first draft must not be the same in every case no no well you well yeah maybe i can surprise you pat was was very helpful when i started the website and he gave me good advice so i don't exactly follow that i follow that to a degree so what i do is i have like a google doc and i have say like 10 questions i would say like when i was starting out i made them really tailored to each person because that just creates more of a personal interview and it's more interesting and i guess as well if someone if i've got someone that's got like a really cool story like one person i interviewed like works remotely from argentina and kind of like he's kind of done the reverse of what a lot of people do because a lot of people that are in remote work are like i'm going to i live in san francisco and i earn like you know 150 grand or whatever and i'm going to work in thailand and like live in a cheap place where it's awesome because he's kind of reversed it he's like i live in a cheap place anyway but i'm going to work from like uh. us so he's got like a us salary but he's from argentina and he lives mm-hmm. in argentina so it's really cool so yeah in that case you know i'm going to have different questions for him than questions for say someone from boston who you know changed from accountancy to cs degree to not cs degree to coding so like if someone's got like a really dramatic story i'll definitely like tailor it as much to them but in terms of that sort of format what i do is i'll have like 10 different questions and then i don't do the like five talking points exactly like pat does but i'll have like in brackets just a clarification so if my first question is like oh can you introduce yourself i'll have in brackets like you know where you live where you like your job what you're doing before coding so that just means that someone isn't telling their life story and isn't saying you know oh i grew up here and i moved to boston when i was 5 years old and you know stuff that's not really relevant Yeah. So I guess, uh, yeah, I guess I have talking points, but it's usually quite a brief one in brackets. So if I've got like I'll always have a question about how did someone like how did you get your first job as a developer? And then in brackets I'll have like, you know, what was the interview like? How did you find this job? Like did they ask for like a good portfolio? So, yeah, I guess like I've got a similar approach to Pat Walls and Yeah, indie hackers have the same thing, so they send out interviews with like five key points and stuff. Whereas I guess my talking points are like not quite so specific, but I've got a few talking points just so people are like are writing stuff that's relevant to the audience. And so when you started no CS degree, you have a few interviews and you have published them and you built a newsletter. how do you ensure that people subscribe to the newsletter is there a strategy that you use to bring in more subscribers places where you distribute your content yeah sure that's a good question i'd say like first off i had like a decent launch on product hunt 
And obviously by that time, I think I'd already made maybe like about 10 products already. So like I was saying earlier on, like it wasn't my first time. So I had a little bit of a following already. So there's that. Luckily, I went viral on Hacker News. So that was oh. really awesome. So I got loads of subscribers from that. I was like the top of Hacker News for like a day. So that really helped. And apart from that, things like I'll post like stories on Indie Hackers. I'll post on Twitter a lot. I guess for like specifically for newsletter subscribers, I'll quite often do threads where if I've got an article, I'll kind of like cut out the eight like most cool or impressive parts of the story. So I'll yeah. put them on separate tweets. And then the last tweet would be like, if you want more stories like this, join oh, the newsletter. Okay. So yeah, but I also, I don't see this very often, but I also do just tweet uh, stuff. I, I send out tweets where I'm just like, you know, I send out two articles a week about people learning to code. If you want inspiring stories like this while you're learning, join the newsletter. So you can definitely send out tweets and that will help a lot. I guess apart from that, there's little tweaks you can do on your website, like about a third of my newsletter signups are people that come from the pop-up when they're leaving the website. So that's a really good thing to do. So like don't have a pop-up straight away because people just close that like automatically. Yeah, but, I do that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Whenever, it's so dumb. I see like huge companies, like massive companies do this all the time. Can't think of an example right now, but you go on like a huge company's website and straight away there's a pop-up and everyone's just like instinctively no. Whereas if you've been reading a website and then you're going away, I guess it's kind of like because if you're leaving it, you're already like primed to do something else, like search for something else or go on the news or go on Twitter or something. So I guess your brain's already like, oh, I'm doing something else now. So when the pop-up comes, you're like, Oh, well, yeah, I'll just pop this in. Whereas if you come on to like a blog, like no CSRE, and you're like, oh, I really want to read this article. And then something is getting in the way. It's like, well, get out of my way because I want to do this. I want to read this article. So yeah, I'd say making sure it's an exit pop-up is really good. So that's like 30% of my newsletter signups come up through that. I guess some other things would be like, using some form of social proof so humans kind of like we all act like we think we act individually but we all really act like other people and we're like follow our cues from what yeah. other people are doing so if you've got a button that says like like my button says like join 2200 developers that's like or that's my newsletter form that's a lot more kind of like motivational to join it than subscribe which is just mm. quite a plain word and it's not and it's like whereas if you're showing okay 2200 other people have done this action that's a lot more likely that you're going to take that action as well and yeah i guess aside from that just tell people what they're going to get so if you say to someone really something like get updates as well updates could mean anything so mm. if you're like you know get tips on how to learn to code or get like the best like remote jobs or something like that if you 
deliver if you tailor your message to something that someone actually wants then that's a lot more effective at growing a newsletter rather than something like quite bland like stay up to date with my news and it's like well it's very vague yeah and it's not delivering something that people want nobody's like oh i really want to get this website's update <laughs> <laughs> you know they yeah. want they either want a job or they want to learn to code or they want, yeah, they want some value from it. So I think showing people what, you know, write in a way that shows people what value they're going to get from your newsletter. That's a good point. And uh, so you have a jobs board and a boot camp board as well. And so were these two things planned while you were uh, uh, starting no CH degree or did you have this idea after uh, you had a few interviews and then people maybe started asking you or maybe you realized that a jobs board could add some more value to the website yeah that's that's a really good question i had the jobs board planned beforehand so i planned to like start the interviews first and then the job board the bootcamp list was just a suggestion from peter levels basically and then he showed me like the other bootcamp directories that are out there, which in my opinion aren't very good. And so I was like, okay, I can make like a nicer design. So I'm really looking forward to maybe in a few weeks time or a month's time, I'll have them all on one site. So that'll be really good. And I've got a few other ideas for other features to add. I would say that lots of people want to make job boards, but you need to have like an audience behind that already because I had some movement and some traction with the NoCS degree like blog, I was able to like move some of that audience into the job board. Whereas if you don't have any kind of following or audience and you've got like 50 followers on Twitter and you're like, I'm going to start rem a remote job board, you're probably not going to have much success because it's like, well, how are people going to find out about it? And yeah, you need to build an audience, I think. That's that's a good insight. And uh, so what's your revenue model for no CH degree? Sure. So I've got a few different streams. So part of it is bootcamps can sponsor articles where they've had people that have learned to code at their bootcamps and now they're going on and working in cool jobs and they're successful and they've improved their careers. So that's a good part of it. Another part of it is newsletter sponsorship. So I've got separate newsletters for my jobs board and for my blog, which is quite good because the jobs board newsletter, for example, means that I can like target people with products for, you know, interview help and stuff like that. So it's really, they know, like, it's a lot better to say to an advertiser, like I've got 3,000 subscribers that want jobs and want your job-related products rather than people that are learning to code or it's not, so, it's not so niche. So I think a niche newsletter is really good because you can appeal to people, like you can deliver more value to advertisers basically. So sponsored articles, sponsored newsletter. I've got like a course on monetizing your newsletter, which is going to be released in a couple of days time so that's cool and apart from that it's things like I mentioned lots of courses in the articles so every time I do that like usually I've got affiliate links for those so if someone buys a course then I can get like a percentage cut of that 
And, and I've also got things like employers that have openings for, for developers can pay to post on my job board and bootcamps can pay to post on the bootcamp list. So yeah, it's quite a lot of different revenue streams. Yeah. Uh, but it's quite nice in that way because it's quite diverse. So I'm not just relying on one thing. I can spread the risk more. So it's good. Yeah. The good thing about your, uh, when bootcamps sponsor your uh, articles is that all those sponsorships are native advertising. You're already doing interviews and then those sponsorships are the same as the interviews. So for mm -hmm. the audience, it doesn't come across as a barrier to what they are trying to read. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I think that's a really good point. It's really nice in that way because you're not like on a on a usual website where you're like, oh, there's an ad, click ignore, there's an ad in the sidebar that's distracting. So the ads are like an integral part of the content. So it's really good. And also, I guess the kind of secret benefit is that it's more like if I'm, so in my position, I'm trying to get more interviews onto the website. So if those bit camps are supplying me with more people, they're kind of doing their job, my job yeah. for me. So it's really good in that regard. It's just like, whenever I get sponsored articles, I'm like, okay, I've, that's, that's some more people that I can add to the website that I don't have to go out and find myself. So they find them. It's a really good model to do if you have content that's kind of like sponsored content that like complements the rest of the website and is in tune with the rest of the articles because then it's not like, oh, it's not like sticking out like a sore thumb. This is an ad yeah. for, I don't know, mineral water or something. <laughs> like, what's this doing on a tech website? <laughs> so yeah, it's a lot better in, in this way. And how do you ensure that the quality of those sponsored posts don't go down? Because if I read sponsored posts on your website and I'm reading a genuine article, I cannot differentiate between those two. Like, they are so good. So how do you ensure that quality? Oh, thank you. That's very nice. It's really the same process where, you know, the interview process is the same. So I have like a Google Doc and I'll make, I guess for the Bitcamp, I'll, for each Bitcamp uh, person that I interview, I do go, I do make it a lot more tailored to them because I don't want to make it like generic questions. But I just go through the same format. So basically, I put together like a list of questions. So for instance, there's someone recently, this girl, Danny from London, who went to Maker's Bootcamp. So she'd been like a musician before. So I was like, okay, there's going to be, you know, different questions for a musician than someone that's a waitress or whatever. So I made like specific questions for Danny. And then like, I had like these kind of like cue talking points. And then just, yeah, then she replied, oh, looked good. And then I guess the only difference is, is adding in something at the bottom, like a little blurb about the bootcamp. Like Danny went to Makers Bootcamp in London. Mm. Um, go to Makers to fulfill your career ambitions as a software developer <laughs> or something like that. So it's basically the same. I just speak to the bootcamp and get their talk to them about what they want at the bottom or at the top of the article about, you know, the pitch, the reason to go to their bootcamp's website. But yeah, the rest is much the same. I guess like, 
I just have to, I mean, this isn't specific to boot camps, but I guess in general, I, one thing is I always ask people to provide photos and that's like probably the hardest part for me is like, yeah, finding good photos because I guess not everyone, like not everyone has like a staff picture when they get a new job. So a lot of people are just like, oh, well, here's a selfie I take. <laughs> you're like, okay, uh, yeah, I guess I'll do it. So yeah, that's like, yeah. But in general, the process is, is fine. So it's good. And yeah, it's it's like a mutually beneficial situation. So like I'm promoting their bootcamp. Um, obviously they're paying me and they're providing content to the website. So it's definitely, I think it's like a business model that other people listening could do. It doesn't just have to be for interviews. Like Lynn Tai runs this website, Key Values. She's out in the States and it's basically a website where people can learn about what companies are like before they go to work for them. It's the same kind of principle where the companies pay to be listed but because they're an integral part of the website, it's not like this is an advert. So you can do this for all kinds of websites. Anything, anything where you're like listing content, uh, whether it's interviews or information about people or whatever, as long as the content all blends together, you can get people to pay. I guess it's a bit like, I don't know, like on a dating site or maybe you see people are like promoted to the top or like a job board is a good example. Like if you go on a job sport, there's always like uh, one at the top with like a gold star saying like, oh, like pay attention to this one. And that's like an advert, but it's not like an annoying advert that you click away. It's just one that someone's paid a little bit extra to be to get your attention. Yeah. And talk to us about your books and the newsletter course that you're just launching. Yeah. Awesome. So I put together a big um in June called imposter syndrome and that's yeah. really a collection of quotes from people that I've interviewed for no CS degree and there's loads of different like opinions and viewpoints on how people um have experienced imposter syndrome and how they get over it and yeah it's really just like a collection of quotes from really successful developers showing I guess it's good because it shows how widespread and common imposter syndrome is and there's lots of people that work at like apple and google and you know all these huge companies that are like oh i don't belong here lots of people don't talk about it or they uh they pretend that they don't get it but there's lots of really good kind of like motivational quotes that people can learn from so people if you're learning to code you don't have to feel bad people lots of other people are in the situation as well um, for the courses, I'm doing like a Montage Your Newsletter course, which I'm releasing on Wednesday. So it's like a video course. And I just wanted to put it together because basically I've been doing no CS degree for the last year. And like in June, for instance, I made like about $1,500 just from newsletter ads, which is pretty cool. Wow. And yeah. And there's like loads of people, like I get, I guess that everyone says this, but genuinely, like lots of people ask me questions like, how do I find sponsors? Or how can I monetize my newsletter? Or how do you make money from a newsletter? Whatever. So instead of like answering like a hundred DMs all the time, <laughs> I was just like, okay, I can just make a course. And 
I did actually get this advice from there's someone that I'm interviewing for the Meet Your Heroes um, Zoom calls, Daniel Fasalo, who's like got this course on improving your Twitter audience. Ah, and, yeah. And he's a really nice guy. Lots of people bought that course, I guess. It's a really good course. It's worth mm. it. He talks about like if you're thinking about doing a course or if you're thinking about sharing on Twitter, like what should I talk about? He's like, well, talk about what people ask you questions about. I think he meant just for Twitter, but I kind of took that for a course because I was kind of like, well, if lots of people are asking me the same question, it seems to reason that there's a gap in the knowledge online where people don't know how to do this thing. So I was like, okay, I'll make a course about it. So the course covers like how I find sponsors, how to make like a premium newsletter, how to find good affiliates that like pay you a decent percentage. And a lot of the video is me going through like me showing like emails that I send to people or like DMs where I like to show my proof. So I'm showing in the video like a message where someone is like, okay, I've just sent over, you know, $125 for a newsletter ad. So it's all like out there in the open. I'm really looking forward to like releasing that on Wednesday for the people. A lot of people bought it as a pre-order on Gumroad and on Wednesday it'll come out live and then I'll release it on Product Hunt. So I guess this is coming back to what I was saying before. I'm releasing lots of things. So each time I release something on Product Hunt, I'll get more followers and I'll get more followers on Twitter. So it's kind of like you can build an audience just by being someone that makes lots of things really. Yeah. And so in your in your video course about this newsletter monetization, you're sharing your actual emails and your actual DMs that you send to people. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, exactly. wow. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Because because uh, so there are hundreds of articles on Medium and Reddit about how you can DM and email people. But if you don't have a template, you are still like hitting arrows in the dark. Well, thank you. I'll need to put that on the Gumroad page because this yeah, is like because yeah, this is what I was saying before. If you talk to your customers or you talk to people that use your products or are going to, then they can tell you your selling points, just like you're doing to me right now. You can tell they can say, "Oh, that's the really good thing about it," and then I can put it on the sales page. At the moment, I charge like $125 for like my, that's the most I've charged so far. I'm going to increase it to 150 soon. But I wanted to show people proof in of DMs because otherwise they could be like, well, how do I know you got that much? <laughs> so, yeah, maybe I'm, maybe I'm being paranoid and overthinking, but I'm kind of like, yeah, I want to show people, okay, this is for real. It's not like a scammy thing where people are promising the world like I'm not saying it's easy or that you're gonna be mega rich but you know it's pretty nice to be able to charge like you know over a hundred bucks for a newsletter ad and I don't even like my lists are like you know three two or three thousand so if you've there's lots of people I know that have got lists that are like ten thousand that mm. don't know how to monetize their newsletter so it's kind of like I guess there's a there is a problem where people can get stuck in Devante metrics and people where you're like, oh, I've got 10,000 subscribers. This is awesome. But it's like, well, are you making any money out of them? 
because yeah. that's the point. You know, the point of growing a business is you make money. It's not a case of, you know, I've got the most page views or I've got the most subscribers. So you need to like you need to be able to like make that into something that makes money as well. And proof is important. I think it it also pushes your audience to take action. I mean, if you go back to Pat Wall's personal blog, he's writing articles about one year back when Starter Story was not very popular. And he's writing about his failures, like I posted on Reddit and it bombed. And you can go back to the Reddit post and see that it has got 10 upvotes. And so you realize that there was a phase in his life as well when he was really pushing his uh, product up the mountain. And then you sort of get that idea that even if I'm going through this phase, Pat Walls went through that phase too. And so when they see your actual DM, when they see your actual email, like it has worked. They have the proof that you did get a reply from that email. You did get a reply from that DM. They can copy it. They can use your own twist. They can personalize it for the people they are sending those emails to. But it really pushes people to take action. Yeah, that's good to hear. And I was able to monetize like in the as soon as I launched NoCS Degree, but you can see from the DMs that I sent that like the first advert I sold for like seven dollars fifty, and now it's like hundred twenty five dollars. So that's quite a nice improvement in a year. And I totally agree with what you're saying about Pat Walls. And I mean Pat's great, and Peter Levels is great, and loads of other founders. I guess. A common thing you can take from these people, though, is if you're starting a business, you don't have to, like, I guess people relate more to people that are the most genuine. So mm. you can share your failures as well. And or you can share, you know, share your working and share what you're working on. And that really helps. So I guess like, People, I don't, I think nowadays people especially find it hard to relate to people that are like only posting their successes and never their failures because it's like, well, that doesn't seem very likely or genuine. So, and I think as well, if you're wanting to, a really good marketing, it's not like a trick, but a really good marketing tactic is literally to just share what you're working on. So you can be like, oh, you know, I made X amount of money this day, or I had a target for this week, but I missed it. So this is what I'll do next week. And, or like last month was really hard, but here's my plan how to do it better this month. So that, that that's just a lot more believable and relatable than someone being like, oh yeah, I'm, doing amazing all the time and I never sleep and you know <laughs> everyone has bad days and bad months so it's a lot more it's a lot better if you're a bit more honest and a bit more real yeah and talking about failures uh, tell us something about your rejection series on your blog about my what sorry uh, that's just the case of every day in September I'm doing this thing where I'm collecting rejections which is a concept that I got from another blogger a couple of years ago or so and I can't remember her name and I tried to find her but I can't find it but it's basically just the it's sort of like the simple idea that like if you go out if you put yourself out there and you try to get rejected you're probably more times than not you're not going to get rejected so it's kind of like if you were say like looking for like a developer job and you usually sound like I know like 
10 applications a month or something. If you twisted that to like, oh, I'm going to get a rejection every day, then you'd send more applications each day. And then, but over the course of that, you're probably much more likely to get a yes. And I guess as well, it's just a way to get me to get more results by putting myself out there more. Like for instance, I guess it's like a case of like making yourself a bit uncomfortable. So there's a few people that I asked to get like backlinks for to my website. And I felt a bit uncomfortable doing that, but I was like, oh, I need to like get a rejection. <laughs> and people were like, yeah, that's cool. That's fine. So I guess it's teaching me that, I mean, sometimes people are going to say no. And there have been cases where this month I have asked for things and people have said no, or they've just ignored it or whatever. But I guess it's just a case of the more that, the more that you try, the more that you'll get. And you'll be surprised if sometimes you'll, you'll ask someone something and you'll think that you're going to get rejected and then they'll actually be like, oh no, that's fine. So yeah. yeah, you have to, you definitely have to put yourself out there as an entrepreneur. Yeah. Like even if you are getting rejected five out of 10 times at the end of the day, you are moving forward. Yeah, absolutely. As long as you like learn from it. I mean, obviously you want to examine why you're getting rejected. So it might be like people don't need your products. So then yeah. make something else. I guess another thing was like for some people that weren't buying my, I noticed like lots of people were say like upvoting my products on Product Hunt, but then some of them weren't buying it on Gumroad. So I just asked them questions and I was like, oh, like, I hope you don't mind, but I saw you upvoted it. And I was just wondering if there's anything that's stopping you from buying it. And some people were like, oh, well, you know, the time zone, time zone doesn't work for me. So I was like, okay, well, that's fine. Or they were saying like, you know, I've got kids and I'm really busy as it is, so I don't have time. So I was like, okay, that's fine. So it's good to, and but in some cases, people were like, yeah, I managed to sell, sell a few um, like copies of tickets for the Meet Your Heroes just by talking to people on Twitter and just by saying wow. like, okay, so like, you're not buying this yet. So can you let me know like what, what's stopping you at the moment? And some people were like, oh, well, I need clarification on like, will I be able to ask questions? And I was like, yeah, yeah, you can. That's the whole thing. But maybe like someone just looked over it quickly and they didn't get that. So yeah, in that case, it's just a case of like, okay, I'm just making this clearer for the person and then they don't have any objections and then they buy. So that's cool. So what is the biggest challenge that you're facing right now? And what has been the biggest breakthrough in the past 90 days for you? I guess biggest challenge is combining the sites all together. So basically I'm working on like my coding skills so that I can do that effectively. I've been learning how to do that better and how to like, make sites more responsive so it looks better and I guess one challenge I'm working through is at the moment I have my the Nocestri on Ghost I'm gonna try and find a way of getting that onto my new website in Python so I'll probably have to use like the Ghost API which I haven't done before so that's gonna be a challenge but, um, <laughs> but there's a way there's a way to do everything so that'll be fine 
And sorry, what was the second question? Uh, what has been the biggest breakthrough for you uh, in the past 90 days? Past 90 days? Yeah. A good breakthrough has been doing pre-orders on Gumroad, which is a big recommendation. So it basically just means that you're, I guess like the familiar thing that people do is like, they get this idea, awesome. They buy the domain, okay, I'm gonna be rich. And then they make the products and then they launch the product. And I mean, sometimes people are like, oh, this is awesome. But a lot of the time people are like, oh, I don't want this, nobody needs this. So they've wasted like maybe like a few months of their life working on something that nobody wants. So I kind of got this tip from this other entrepreneur called Kevin Conti, who runs this software ideas newsletter. He's a big fan of doing like pre-orders. So that's basically where you can make a page on Gumroad or any other website like that. And you make like a sales page and you say like, oh, I'm going to release this product in 30 days. And then you can say to people, okay, you can pre-order it for $10. You won't get charged until like the 30 days has elapsed. And then at that point, you'll get the product. So then you've got a whole month where you can experiment with pricing. You can see what people like. And then during that month, you've got all this like, marketing intelligence where you're like okay what's working what's getting people to buy it like you can experiment with your prices you can put it up oh people aren't buying at that price so take it down oh people are buying at that price so that's cool and so that's been really good so i've got just under a thousand dollars now in pre-orders um, wow yeah and that so this is like for a product these products i mean they are gonna get released but they don't exist now they don't exist yeah. something that people can use just now so i guess that's pretty cool because as well a lot of people buy stuff based on you know reviews and recommendations and none of these have reviews because they're not out in public yet so so that's been really good so i would say that kind of flips the way of validating a product because that means you make like a sales page and you see if people want to buy it and then you gauge the reaction and then you can be like, okay, maybe you'll do release this thing for a month. Like if it's like a paid newsletter and you've promised people that you're going to do like four newsletters, but it hasn't sold well, well, you just do the four newsletters, but then you just move on to something else after that. Or if people love it and people loads of people were pre-ordering it, you're like, oh, well, this is good. People like this. So I can do more of this in the future. So that's a really good way. So that way you're not spending months of your time working on something and you're not sure people even want to buy it. And you have validated your idea. And at the same time, like the product does not exist and people are buying because they trust you and what you have built over the past year with no CS degree. So in a way it kind of also validates you as a person that they trust what you're building you. over the yeah. over the past months. Yeah, no, that's nice you say, but I guess you're right. I think it's like I was saying before, all these things help. So like, because even all those times where I launched on Product Hunt and it didn't go anywhere, I was still like kind of like working on my shipping muscles and like <laughs> getting used to launching stuff. So I guess, I guess one last thing would be to say that like the best if you're someone that's worried about launching a product, just do it a lot. It's kind of like exposure therapy. Like 
if you're scared of flying, you just have to fly loads until you're not scared of it. Or if you're scared of releasing on Product Hunt, just release something new every month and then it'll be fine. The more you release, the more people will know you. The more people know you, the more they trust you. So it all works out. Yeah, and the last question is, where can we connect you? Which is the best place to connect with you? Yeah, sure. So I'm on Twitter a lot, so that's that's really awesome. So I'm on Twitter as Pete Codes, all one word, and no CS degree, which is like all one word on Twitter as well. My blog is PeteCodes.io. You can read about me collecting rejections every day. <laughs> you can read all about my updates for my paid products on Twitter. I've also got a Gumroad page, which is just gumroad.com forward slash PeteCodes. So it's just basically PeteCodes all over the internet. Same, <laughs> same as on Indie Hackers. I share a lot of updates on Twitter. I'm very open about how things are going. And so you can follow me at any of these places. I'll just share your all your social media links and all your websites along with your Gumroad page in the description and the newsletter with all the listeners and the readers. Perfect. Thank you, Pete. I had an awesome time. Thanks a lot. Cheers, mate.